Well, hello, my friends. It's Bill Allen on his cell phone. Yes, that's right, Bill Allen on his cell phone. And sorry about starting a few minutes late, but it seems like I don't have enough computers that are able to get online, that are able to not have camera issues. And so right now I'm gonna go uh, old school. Is that what you would call a cell phone video? Well, I don't know if that's what you call or not, but I'm glad that I have a few people that are on. Sorry to keep you waiting. It looks like my cousin Gail is one of those and perhaps a few others. Hopefully you'll be able to send me a little note. Eric and Cindy, hello, and uh, let me know. Yes, Bill, we see you. We, you are, uh, you look like you're as wide as a cell phone and that's because I'm on my cell phone. Um, so it's always good to be able to, um, uh, you know, be able to realize that there are people there. Uh, thanks for letting me know. My buddy and brother Brian is watching as well. Brian Brown, wonderful to see that you're going to join us today. And hopefully we'll have a few more come in. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and get started because this is actually the second uh, lesson from the Psalms this week. We, of course, have this on Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons. And today, this week, has been uh, looking at those psalmists who write and are seeking God's comfort and help. And so this past Tuesday, we looked at a few of those, and today we're going to look at a couple more. And uh, nice to see my dear sister and friend, Janice Hardaway, is watching. Uh, this uh, Hopefully, this, this study this week will be a good one for you, sister, because I know you've had quite the week. And so psalms that are seeking God's comfort and help are probably right down your alley uh, this week. Um, but I do want us to take a look at a couple of psalms. It will be Psalms 30 and 40, uh, though there will be some familiar words and verses in there, just as you uh, have seen in most every, of the, every one of these studies, because the psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament, and we certainly see that today. The psalms were definitely the favorite book uh, of the writer of the book of Hebrews, and one of the uh, psalms that we'll look at today uh, quotes extensively from one of, one of the psalms. Uh, the book of Hebrews quotes a very important passage in, um, in Psalm 40 that we'll look at in just a little bit. Uh, but first of all, um, again, we're looking at uh, psalms. Uh, this past Tuesday, we saw the psalm uh, in Psalm 42 and 43. That's the psalm that uh, we get the song as the deer uh, that I sang a little bit of Tuesday. So if you missed that, lucky you. But if you really want to hear some bad singing, then you can go back and see Tuesday's lesson on my Facebook page or on the West Irwin Church Facebook pages or on our website, westerwin.com, under our social media and other resources and our live stream archives uh, link. Um, and so today we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of psalms, and this first one is Psalm 30, and it's got a very familiar uh, statement in it, uh, joy comes in the morning. That's a very important thing for the psalmist who were going through some very difficult things, uh, having some hard, hard times, including the man who was writing this psalm, Psalm 30, and he has a great statement in there that uh, suffering comes, but joy will come uh, after the night of suffering is over. Uh, the heading for Psalm 30 says this, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple, a psalm of David. Well, that's kind of a, um, 
uh, a long uh, heading. And as we know, as we have said from the very first part of this study in the introductory lessons, that the headings, though not inspired scripture, they don't necessarily need to be read when you're reading publicly, but it's good to refer to them and they give you some hints about what you're going to read. And, and I think most of them are probably pretty accurate. This one may be an exception uh, because it's talking about a dedication of the temple and when you read, again, it's more than just the content that helps us to understand what the psalm was about. It's the content of the psalm itself. And the content of this psalm really doesn't sound like something that you would want to read at the dedication of the temple. But if that's it, and if it's David's authorship, then he could be writing it ahead of time. Solomon, as you know, built the temple. David kind of designed it, raised some money for it. Uh, made the plans for it and wanted to build it, but God said no, but his son would, King Solomon did. And so it could very well be that David wrote this psalm uh, looking forward to the time when it would be read and shared at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Um, it, some have suggested that it's actually a psalm that was read at the dedication of David's palace, which was built during David's life, lifetime before the temple. Uh, that's possible. Um, it could be written by someone later. For example, uh, during Zerubbabel's time uh, in uh, the 6th century and the later, uh, the early part of the uh, 5th century when uh, they rebuilt the temple that uh, had been destroyed by the Babylonians in Jeremiah's day. And, and it could be during Zerubbabel's time, uh, that, that may have been uh, around that time in uh, the 500s uh, BC, uh, before the Common Era BCE. Uh, it could also be that it was written at the dedication at uh, during uh, in the second century uh, BCE, somewhere around 160, 170 is the time when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, had uh, uh, had rule over Jerusalem at the time, one of the Seleucid kings. And uh, during the time between the Old and New Testaments, uh, we read about that in First and Second Maccabees and some of those other works of what we call the Apocrypha. Um, again, I think most uh, Protestant churches, as we would call them, reject those apocryphal books as being inspired scripture. Uh, but we do see some value in them. Some of them are just outlandishly uh, uh, un unbelievable. Uh, but but some of them offer some good historical setting for that time, and I think First and Second Maccabees do that. Anyway, the king Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucids, uh, he um, uh, was a very cruel man and uh, just didn't care about the customs and laws of the Jews, and um, and so the temple suffered because of that. The temple that Zerubbabel had. Uh, repaired, had actually built uh, after the Babylonians had destroyed Solomon's temple. And, uh, and during uh, that time between uh, the Testaments and the Maccabean revolt, uh, the Jews had had enough and they were able to have some degree of independence and cleansed the temple. The, the uh, holiday Hanukkah that the Jews celebrate is that festival of lights that celebrates the purifying of that temple. Um, and, um, and so that's something that uh, is a, a possibility for this psalm as well. 
But there's really nothing, again, in the content of the psalm that would suggest any of those, I think. And so it may very well be that this is one of those headings when it says for the dedication of the temple that may or may not be uh, accurate. Again, that's not inspired scripture. It's not considered inspired scripture. The headings are helpful, uh, but they're, uh, they're not completely trustworthy. And so we have to read the psalm and find out exactly what it's uh, saying. And the psalm is about a man who is suffering with a severe illness, uh, perhaps uh, near death, as best we can tell. Uh, and the psalmist himself felt like that it was because of his own sins, that in a sense, God was punishing him and he was uh, uh, cause he had brought this on because of his own sinful nature. Uh, yet he experienced God's mercy as the Lord delivered him and restored him to good health. Uh, and so it's a very beautiful story. Throughout the psalm, he speaks of his suffering, even towards the end. His suffering perhaps was still there. Um, and he speaks of the turning away of God, perhaps because of his sins, as we said, um, and of the call to joyfully celebrate and praise the Lord for his mercy and deliverance. Again, a great statement in Psalm 30, uh, weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So with that as a kind of an introductory thing, let's look at Psalm 30, uh, the 30th Psalm. Verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. We've seen several times in these Psalms, uh, including the ones from Tuesday, how the enemies would gloat over the psalmist saying, hey, where's your God, Mr. Big Shot? We thought he was going to deliver you and he hasn't. Psalm 22 is another one of those that Jesus remembers from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Actually quoting, as we saw last week, from Psalm 22, verse 1, and that psalm of lament and suffering that Jesus remembered and that also spoke of God's deliverance. Uh, psalm 30, verse 2, Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, verse 5, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This verse and, and verse 7 that we'll read in a minute seem to indicate that the psalmist felt like God was punishing his people. Perhaps the psalmist is speaking of himself. Perhaps he's speaking of the nation uh, or his surroundings. But it seems like he's looking at his own suffering and he's saying he's praising God for the deliverance that he has received. But he's also recognizing that he has some responsibility here. Uh, and he says the great thing about God is that his anger doesn't last forever. What a great blessing that is. Uh, and even though there may be suffering in our lives and weeping, uh, it's only during the night of suffering because joy comes in the morning and there will be mourning. It may last more than 24 hours uh, and we may not even see the relief ourselves firsthand, but joy comes in the morning of God's deliverance. Verse 6, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Again, the psalmist recognizing that God's blessing is his, but when God hides his face, that blessing is taken away. 
And perhaps the psalmist felt some responsibility for that. Perhaps he just recognized that God uh, had withheld his blessing from him. Uh, verse 8 of Psalm 30, To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. The psalmist makes his case. He says, God, why don't you deliver me? I, I'm no good to you dead, basically is what the psalmist is saying. I can't praise you. I can't sing your praises to others. I can't call others to join me in worshiping you. Please deliver me. Please turn my weeping into rejoicing. Turn my night into mourning. And it seems that God did exactly that. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Reminds us of the words of that great inspiration uh, for uh, the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Some of you 60s and 70s children will remember that one. Um, and one of those great verses out of Ecclesiastes 3 that that song quotes is, um, is uh, there is a time for everything under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die as he starts. But he also says a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time for mourning and sorrow and night, but there's also a time for rejoicing, for dancing, for joy. Um, God's anger doesn't last forever, the psalmist says, and the psalmist experienced it himself because after crying out to God, it seems that God actually did deliver him. You turned my wailing into dancing. Uh, you removed my sackcloth of mourning and clothed me with joy. And the psalmist says, as a result, that last verse, I, my heart will sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. You know, it's right for us to worship and serve and praise and pray to the Lord, not just in the bad times, not just at night, not just when it's a time of mourning and sorrow and difficulty, but during those times of joy, during those times of happy, during those times when we really feel and sense God's presence is with us. The psalmist knew that firsthand, uh, Psalm 30. Um, and so the second psalm we'll do today, and only these two, is Psalm 40, the 40th psalm. And this psalm is known for those who read the book of Hebrews. And here, the writer of the book of Hebrews attribute a part of this psalm uh, to the attitude and the words of Jesus of Nazareth. Because in Hebrews 10, this psalm is quoted, and it says, I have come to do your will, O God. It's a great statement of the obedience of Jesus. On Sunday, November 1st, I'll be discussing uh, prayer in my Sunday morning sermon series, What I Believe and Why. And that Sunday before the election will be the Sunday where I preach, I Believe in Prayer. Uh, and one of those uh, great points that will be made in that sermon is this passage of Scripture where Jesus prayed in the garden, but he prayed, Take this cup from me, yet not what I want, what you want. Not my will be done, Father, thy will be done. Um, what a great, great song, a great Hillary Scott song uh, that she, the one, the singer for Lady Antebellum, she's put out a, 
um, an album of, of wonderful spiritual songs with her family. And that song, Thy Will Be Done, is just a beautiful melody and a beautiful statement of faith. That's what this psalm is about, obedience, trusting in God, calling out to God for comfort and help, uh, and then praising him and being obedient to him uh, because of his greatness and his deliverance. The psalmist lived an obedient life and calls on others to do the same. Uh, though he was still in the midst of his suffering, and the last paragraph in this psalm seems to indicate that, he's still suffering and hurting. He's still crying out for God's help, uh, yet he believed the Lord would bring about his deliverance. And so we'll break this psalm up into four sections. First, in verses 1 through 5, the psalmist trusted in the Lord. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Um, wait, in this case, is a four-letter word, W-A-I-T, and I think it really truly is a four-letter word. We don't like to wait, especially in the 21st century, we don't like to wait. Uh, we don't like to wait for our computer to come around. We want to make a couple of clicks and everything work fine, <clears throat> but that doesn't always happen, hence today. Um, but the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he came through. The psalmist trusts in the Lord. Verse 2, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. The psalmist recognizes that his trust and faith in the Lord and the Lord's subsequent deliverance will call others to do the same, to trust and believe in the Lord. Verse 4 of Psalm 40, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. The psalmist says, I just don't have time to tell you all the wonderful things about my God, but my God is the one true and living God. That's why he says, I don't follow the proud who just talk about how wonderful their gods are that are not gods at all. But rather, the psalmist says, I trust in the Lord. I believe that he will come through for me even when I don't see it. You know, faith is really faith uh, during those times when it's still night, during those times when there's still sorrow, when there's still difficulty, when there's still suffering, when God has chosen not to deliver us. And maybe his answer is, wait um, and then later it becomes yes. Maybe his answer is no. Certainly that was the answer that Jesus received in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked for his father to take this cup from him. But he also asked that the father's will would be done. And the answer to that part of the prayer was yes. The psalmist experienced that and calls on others to worship the one true and living God. Um, and then the next part, verses 6 through 8, are these familiar words that you recognize from Hebrews chapter 10 applied to Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, verse 7 of Psalm 40, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. 
the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, as he's talking about how wonderful our great high priest is, Jesus of Nazareth, who gave everything for us, quotes this psalm, Psalm 40. He quotes from the Septuagint translation, which is interesting because he's not quoting in Hebrews 10, it seems, from the Masoretic text, from the Hebrew uh, text of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, but rather he's quoting from the Greek version, the Septuagint, seen, uh, abbreviated as LXX, all caps, because of the number of Jewish scholars in Alexandria that uh, translated uh, this pat, this uh, Old Testament into the the Koine Greek language of the day, uh, and many of the Jews had no longer spoke Hebrew, and so they used the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint translation, and it was translated uh, starting in about the middle of the third century BCE, so two fifty or so BCE. Uh, the later parts were translated, finished translating sometime uh, before one hundred. BCE. So it was a translation that was familiar and, and very much used in the days of Jesus when he walked in the days of the Apostle Paul. And it's the translation that the writer of the book of Hebrews uses as he quotes from this passage in Psalm 40 verses 6 through 8 uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 10. Um, I have come to do your will, O God. Um, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, but a body you prepared for me, uh, the writer of Hebrews says. And that's exactly what happened. The psalmist obeyed with all his heart. Verse 7, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. One of the things we've seen as we've gone through this study is that the psalmist followed God with his whole heart. Uh, he took great joy in being obedient, even to the law of Moses, to God. And this is another one of those great passages that we remind us God has always wanted our worship from the heart. In the Old Testament, during Jesus' days and the days of the first century church and today, God has always wanted us to worship the way the psalmist says he worships. In this verse, in Psalm 40, verse 8, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is wit written within my heart. Um, the psalmist said in verse 6, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And, and that sounds much like Hosea 6 that Jesus quotes. Uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And we know that God still required those sacrifices. That was the law of God. He, he wasn't saying stop doing that. And the psalmist wasn't going to stop doing that either. But the psalmist says, I know there's more. And Hosea told the people of his day, there is more. Uh, mercy, not just sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 12 quotes that verse when he sees the hypocrisy of the religious, the Jewish leaders around him of his day. And he quoted that statement, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he told them, go figure out what this means because you guys are missing it. Um, Amos in Amos chapters 4 and 5 calls for justice to roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Micah in Micah 6 verse 8 says, what does the Lord require of you? Uh, he requires you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6 verse 8. The psalmist got that. 
He understood that. Psalm 50 is another great psalm that brings that out. Isaiah chapter 1, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah's temple on the church building, uh, or his sermon on the church building as he is outside of the temple, telling them, look, you can't you can't say that you're Jews and that you're saved, that you're the people of God, and then live unjustly and live without mercy. Um, that, that's unacceptable to God. This psalmist understood that. And so he recognized that he didn't come to God with burnt offerings and sin offerings, but he came to him with his whole heart. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. And that's exactly what the Son of God came and did too, full of grace and truth, John 1 tells us, revealing God's law, but revealing it through the lens of grace, full of grace and truth. What a great statement. The psalmist trusted in the Lord. The psalmist obeyed the Lord from his heart. And then third, this psalm tells us that the psalmist declared his faith to others. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 40. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. This psalmist had experienced God's comfort. He had experienced God's deliverance. He still, as we're going to see in the rest of the psalm, was calling out to God to help him and to deliver him. But he had already experienced that. And the psalmist says, look, I'm not keeping this a secret. I'm willing to tell everybody. I'm willing to go to church in the great assembly and, and let everybody know what God has done in my life. And I ask you today, my friend, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to share the great things that God has done for you, how he has delivered you, how he has been there for you, how he has been a real presence for you, even at night, even when it's dark, even when there is mourning and sorrow, uh, when the, the morning hasn't come yet, the daylight hasn't come yet. Um, that Psalm in Psalm 30 that spoke of, of uh, suffering comes during the night, but joy and rejoicing comes in the morning. The psalmist said, look, when that joy came, when that morning was brought in, um, when the light began to shine, I told everyone what God had done for me. I hope that you're willing to do that as well. And then this psalm ends with these words uh, in verses 11 through 17. And the psalmist in this passage is obviously continuing to seek help from the Lord. Yes, he had experienced God's deliverance, but there was still suffering around, and the psalmist continued to lift his heart to God. Psalm 40, beginning at verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Obviously, the psalmist was still suffering. He still had trouble all around him. Uh, he still was seeking to be penitent of his sins. He still was trying to turn to God with his whole heart. But he was also still crying out to God for help and comfort and deliverance. Verse 14, he obviously is realizing that there are people around him, as we've seen in Psalm 30 and in other Psalms, who were only trying to make his life 
worse. You've heard of kicking somebody when they're down. That's what this psalmist was experiencing. Um, again, verse 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Now, verse 14, may all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, verse 17, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. We've seen in this psalm, Psalm 40, that the psalmist recognized that God had delivered him in the past, and he praised God for that deliverance. And he told others about that deliverance, but he also was still suffering. And there were still people around him that were making fun of him, that were taunting him. Again, aha, aha, you said you believed in God and you prayed to God, but he's not delivering you, as if they've trapped him into some inconsistency in his faith. And the psalmist recognized that tension, but he continued to cry out to God. And so he calls on God to deliver him. And he calls on God to, to punish those who uh, were no help, who were seeking to discourage rather than encourage him. And then he also praises those who refuse to go along with that group. When he says, may all, verse 16, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And may those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. And the psalmist ends by saying, I'm one of those. I'm one of those that's still suffering, that's still troubled, that's still going through the night of suffering and sorrow. But I am also in that group who says the Lord is great. The Lord is the deliverer. The Lord is our help and comfort. And he will deliver me. I may not have seen it completely yet, but I know he will. And so verse 17, that cry for comfort and help. As for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. It's okay for us to call out to God for help and comfort and deliverance. But when we do, we may even ask God, why are you waiting so long? Why are you delaying? Why are you giving me the answer of wait or maybe even no to my prayer for your help and comfort and deliverance? But even in the midst of that, we can join the psalmist and say, still the Lord is great. Still the Lord is my help and my deliverer. And even though we continue to ask for that deliverance, we do so from a, a position of faith. You see, again, faith is only faith when you can't see we live by faith, not by sight, Paul wrote and told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. There will come a day when he will return and our faith will be turned into sight. And we anticipate that and pray for that day's coming. But that day isn't today. It's not right now. And so we still live by faith, not by sight. And that means that sometimes it's still night. Sometimes it, that uh, there's still sorrow and difficulty but with the psalmist, we say, I have come to do your will, O God. With Jesus, we say, I have come to do your will, O God. 
uh, with the psalmist, we say, you are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. And with the psalmist, we say, sorrow comes and weeping may stay for the night, but joyful rejoicing comes in the morning. May God bless you through the nights and through the mornings as you seek to serve him.